0: Good morning, Church. I hope uh, everything is going well for you right now, in the midst of uh, quarantine, in the midst of uh, everything else that might be going on. Hopefully, everyone is is doing well, health wise, financially. I know there uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of change from from what I've heard recently, but uh, do remember to keep one another in prayer as we go through uh, this time. But uh, I'm excited to get back into Genesis. We kind of had a weird. Few weeks here as we've gone through this quarantine process between our fifth Sunday and and Easter. And we did have a week in there where we were back in in Genesis for one week. But uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to to digging back into um, the book of Genesis. And here we are in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, I don't know if you looked at this chapter and said, Wow, that's a lot of verses. (laughs) We are not going to go through everything uh, this morning. Um, i have I have six thoughts for us this morning, but we're going to break them up uh, and do three of them this week and then three of them next week for uh, chapter twenty four For those of you um, who are keeping score at home you'll know that we are almost halfway through the the book of genesis and uh, and I wanted to share something with you guys that that Eric shared with us uh, earlier this week um, he just took a screenshot from, uh, from his Facebook account and it was a year ago this week that we started our journey through Genesis and we're almost halfway through uh, we'll be halfway through here in a couple weeks um, so' we're, we're, we're on schedule sort of <laughs> we'll see we may be done in, in two years. Uh, we'll just see what the Lord has in store for us but I just thought, I just wanted to share that in case you were wondering how long it's going to take we, we've been here. For about a year now, and uh, and I think we I think we said it would be a, a couple of years uh, while we we're in here, but uh, I just wanted to, to share that with you all. the uh, The sermon title this morning is a God who goes before. The God who goes before, and I think you've you've probably picked up on that theme a little bit as we've uh, talked through. Uh, some verses this morning as we've we've looked at some scripture as we've uh, had some introductions from Andy and from Eric uh, this morning as well. we've we've uh, kind of been in tune a little bit with this concept of the God who goes before and and the, the, the six um, observations that I have from this passage I think uh, relate to this God who goes before and understanding these these six or three this morning, these three, Um, observations from this passage, um, in the light of the fact that God is going before us, I think will be be the key for us as we look at this passage this morning. Um, Something I wanted to start off with, though, is a reminder that God does go before us. And I know it's easy for us oftentimes to, to think of God as a reactionary God. Um, we, we have this concept of God as, as, as sovereign and, and we've, we've brought that up many times as we've gone through the book of Genesis. And I think a lot of times we can fall into the trap of assuming that sovereignty really is more from a, an authority perspective than it is, uh, from a planning perspective. And, and really it's both, it's God is sovereign in his authority as the only true God and but then he is also sovereign in the fact that he has a plan in fact Ephesians reminds us that before the foundations of the world Christ, God had a plan through Christ to bring salvation to mankind before man had even sinned but you know a lot of times it's easy for us to to get kind of trapped in this idea of God being uh, being reactionary just just having to react to man and, and even if we're not careful even going through Genesis we could we could kind of get that idea as you think about uh, some of the things that we've gone through. We've we've come to the first few chapters where God creates everything, but then man sins, and it and and you almost get the feeling that God has to react to Adam and Eve's uh, sin, and then right after that we have Cain killing his brother Abel, and you see uh, what seems like God's reaction to to Cain, and then of course all of mankind is wicked, and 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 God decides to to wipe the entire earth out with a flood except for eight people and uh and that can kind of seem reactionary we have after that the tower of babel where man is lifting himself up trying to trying to uh to basically put himself as god and uh and god confuses the languages and spreads them out uh which again seems kind of reactionary even in abraham's life we have uh Abra- abram's actions to this point have not always been good. And we have him going down to Egypt when he should have stayed in the land of Canaan and, and God seemingly reacting to that as he deals with Pharaoh. And then uh, um, we've got Hagar and the decision there and, and, um, and and God basically bringing her back and when she runs away and, and, and then finally with uh, Abimelech here, recently and and it, and even though we do see God's promise we we do see that there is a, a promise a lot of times we don't always you know connect that with his sovereignty it's almost like this is just a promise that he gave to Abraham and and that's great that God is faithful I, I love that song that we just sang great is thy faithfulness and even the the newer version you know God is faithful and we've seen that a lot throughout the book of Genesis that God is a faithful God. Uh, And and he's faithful in his promises to Abraham, but yet Abraham fails. And and if we're not careful, we can begin to view God, even in these verses in Genesis, as a God who is a reactionary God. But I I want to remind you through this passage this morning that God is not a reactionary God. He is a God who goes before. He is a God who has planned out the way. He is a God who is working his plan. And, And this morning, again, the title of the message is the God who goes before, and we, of course, we get that from this passage when when uh, Abraham says to his servant that the that God will send His angel before him. Um, but there are three uh, this morning. There are three observations that I want to make from this passage, and and we'll probably read pieces of it again. I don't want to necessarily read the whole thing uh, after Eric already did. Um, but there are three observations that I want to look at. Um, that are in many ways very general observations, but I think that we see them here in this passage, both in um, in what God is doing and in what Abraham and the servant and Rebecca are doing. So let's dig into uh, the the passage this morning as we look at that. The first thing that uh, that I want to to observe here, the first point, is that the God who goes before commands impossible tasks. The God who goes before commands impossible tasks. And I think we can see this even in this interaction between uh, Abraham and his servant. Now, we don't know for sure who this servant is. Um, Many people assume that it is Eleazar, who we we hear about back in chapter 15, um, when Abraham's asking God where's this promise of a son that that you've given to me? All I have is this servant, Eliezer, you know, he's the oldest of my servant. And and that's, that's, excuse me, where a lot of people uh, get this idea that it's Eliezer. It could be Eliezer, may not be, we don't really know. This passage doesn't tell us for sure. It just tells us that he was the oldest of his household um, and he had charge of all that he had. This was, this was Abraham's most trusted servant and, um, I'm going to turn this down just a little bit. It's peaking. <laughs> so this was Abraham's most trusted servant. So that's really all we know. This passage doesn't tell us anything else about him other than he had control of everything that he had. He was the oldest of his household. Very possibly could have been Eleazar, But I mean, as we know, we just finished um, a passage on Sarah's death. So it could be that Eliezer is dead. We don't know. And, and this is just another one. But um, if you do hear me say Eleazar, uh, that's, why people assume that, but the passage doesn't specifically tell us that's who it is. But God is a God, the God who goes before commands impossible tasks. He commands impossible tasks. And when you look at this passage, um, you see an impossible task being given. Now, you may say, David, uh, you know, God's not the one doing this, right? Abraham's the one giving this Task to his servant, and that's true. But I I believe he's doing that because he understands the desire of God's heart, and I want to look at that first. So so let's look at this this um, task that it, that's being given to the servant. Um, Abraham is, is having his servant make an oath, and it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know if you if you notice when we we're reading, he says, "Put your hand under my thigh." You know, it's kind of weird. We 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 don't do things like that today. You know, usually if we're gonna uh, make a, an oath. It'll be like a written contract or something like that. So the, these kind of nuances of of culture back then are a little uh, weird for us as we as we look at them. But he, he's making he's having him take an oath, and it's a very strong oath. and And in fact, if you if you think about it, Abraham's pretty old, right? It says that at the very beginning, it says, "Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years." This was a task that that he didn't think that he was going to be able to complete on his own. We do see later on that he he does continue to live for uh, quite a few years, but he doesn't know how long he has. And and so he's asking this servant to, to take on this oath. And And I think the idea here is that this oath is, whether I'm still around or not, swear to me that you're going to make sure that this happens. And so he he has this, uh, this oath that he he, he wants the, the servant to to do. It's a very important task that he wants his servant to do, which is to go get a bride for his son Isaac, for the promised son, the son that God has given him. And I think that's important to understand. This is not any son. This is, this is the promised son. This is the one that God gave to him, the, the one that God promised to him, the one that God said he would be blessed with, that all the world would be blessed with. And so, um, it's very important to him that he have the right kind of wife. And so let's look at what he says. He says, go to my homeland, right? There, there are specifics that he gives to, to this servant. He says, I want you to go back to my homeland, not just to my homeland, not just to the place where I came from, but I want you to go back to my kindred or to my family. He's very specific about this. He says, I want you to go back to where I came from, and I want you to go back specifically to my relatives uh, because he knew the type of people that they were. These were not strangers that he was, he was going to, to have to deal with you know, understanding you know, who they worshiped and, and what their you know, philosophy of life was. I mean this, it was very important to him that he picked someone who was, who was the right person for Isaac. And he says, I want you to go back to my homeland. I want you to go back to my kinder, to my family. And he says, I want you to bring back a wife. Now, on the surface, that doesn't necessarily sound like a huge deal, but we have a, a long journey to go back to uh, where Abraham came from. He's supposed to not only go all that distance, but he's supposed to then go and find Abram's family. And, you know, there's no guarantee how long that process is going to take. Uh, you know, I think we, we kind of read through this passage oftentimes and think this has worked out pretty easily, you know. And, and it worked out pretty easily because God went before him. And, and and the servant, I'm sure, is thinking about all these things and he's going, man, this is, this is almost impossible. And then he piles on the fact, I want you to go there and I want you to bring her back. And the servant says, you know, well, there's, there's a very obvious question. What if she doesn't want to come back? I mean, I'm going a great distance. She's going to hear about you know, your son Isaac. I'm going to obviously put him in a good light. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to, uh, to get her to come back. But she, she may not want to travel that far. She may not want to leave home. And um, what happens then? Should I, should I bring Isaac to prove to him that I'm not just some, some weird guy who's, who's trying to get this girl to come back with me a great distance? And, and Abraham says, no. In fact, he says this more than once. He, he, he's very emphatic about this point. Do not take my son away from Canaan. And, it, and it's interesting here. He goes through and, and Abraham reiterates to his servant why. Why he does not want his son to leave the land of Canaan. Uh, look at verse Six, Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for him, for my son, from there. So he's saying, Look, remember, God called me out of that land to this land. And, and, Abraham has finally understood that this is where God wanted him. And he did not want Isaac to be taken out of this land of promise, this land that God had given to him. He didn't want him to potentially make the same mistake that he did when he uh, went down to Egypt uh, outside of the will of God. And so Abraham is very emphatic, don't take my son back there. But it's interesting, even Abraham understands that he's asking a very, very difficult and, and potentially in the mind of, of man, a virtually impossible task of his servant. And because at the end of this passage here that, uh, that I just read, it says, um, verse 8, But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So again, he's very emphatic about don't, ta- don't take my son back there. But he says, Here, I understand this is a difficult task. And In fact, if, if for some reason you find the right person and she's not willing to come back, I release you of this oath. I release you of taking care. Even, even if I'm dead and gone, you don't have to worry about trying to fulfill this oath anymore. If, if you find the, the woman and, and she doesn't want to come back, you're free from this oath. So even Abraham acknowledges the fact that this is a difficult task. This is something that that may not be easy for him to do. He's, he's We look at this passage and think, seems like it worked out okay, but the servant was probably um, looking at many, many months of, of travel and potentially of searching just to find someone, let alone to find the right person, and then hoping that that person would be able to come back. So it's a very difficult and, and in the mind of man, a, a virtually impossible task. So we, we know that Abraham's asking him to get a wife for Isaac and, it, and he's very emphatic about going back to his homeland. He's very specific instructions. Don't take someone from the land of Canaan. And I, I think it's, it's interesting for us to note that he wants somebody from his family, not from Canaan. And I think there are a couple reasons for that. First of all, he wants someone from his family. He understands their, they have a knowledge of, of God. Obviously, when he left, um, he, he made it clear that God had called him, and, and we don't know for sure if they, if they all were worshipers of the one true God, but, but they certainly had a knowledge of him. And, uh, and so he, he was more comfortable having someone from his family excuse me, who he knew had at least a knowledge and potentially were worshipers of the one true God would would be a better person for his wife to marry he says don't don't bring don't have don't let him marry someone from the land of Canaan because he's looked around if you remember when he was dealing with Abimelech he said i was I was afraid because you you don't worship Jehovah, you don't worship the one true God. And, and I looked around and I saw that. And and as he's looking at this land of Canaan, you, we've seen even recently the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and just the knowledge of the wickedness of the land. And, and that was not the type of person that he wanted as a wife for his son Isaac. And I think it's it's also interesting if you go back and you look at um, chapter 15, I think another reason Abraham didn't want Isaac to marry someone from Canaan is because he understood the end of Canaan. Remember, God has promised this land to him. In fact, in chapter 15, God specifically says, look, your your children, your descendants are going to be servants for 400 years in a land that's not theirs. We know, of course, that that is Egypt. He says, but then they're going to come back and they're going to take this land. But he says, not yet, specifically because the sin of the Amorites is not yet completed. So Abraham had an idea, even way back in chapter 15, that God was going to use his descendants even as judgment and punishment on the people of Canaan. And I think he probably even thought about that as he's thinking about, I don't want my children to be descendants of these people who are going to be judged by my descendants. And so there's many reasons why why Abraham is asking this servant to go and do what seems like a very impossible task, and you know oftentimes God calls us to things that, that we feel are impossible tasks. Um, and the truth is that word impossible really is more from our perspective than it is from God's perspective, because in reality, God the God who goes before us doesn't command impossible tasks. He, he, he commands possible tasks. But in our point of view, they, they look like, like impossible tasks. They look like things that there's no way that we can accomplish them. And, and I just want to remind us this morning that the God who goes before is the one who's commanding that. The God who commands us to do these things that, that we think might be impossible for us to, to accomplish, we're right. They are impossible for us to accomplish outside of Him. Because he is going before and he is going to help us accomplish those tasks. See, scripture tells us that with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19 verses 23 through 26 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples heard this. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And specifically, this is talking about salvation and the fact that we as human beings have no power, no ability to save ourselves. It is only by the work of God, but that we have this phrase that with with God, all things are possible. Even those things that he has called us to, that that we think are impossible. We think there's no way that we we can do that, or there's no way that we can get through this. With God, all things are possible. And as a reminder this morning, God is the God who goes before us. Not only are all things possible with God. But when we do things in Christ's strength, we can accomplish anything He desires. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13 say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking to the church at Philippi. Paul is. You were you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think it's interesting there. What does he say? I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and and need, No matter what I go through, no matter how hard or even impossible the circumstances may seem that I'm going through, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The God who goes before is going before us, even when He commands impossible tasks. I don't know what impossible tasks you may be facing in your life. Maybe there's a call of God on your life to, to fulfill uh, uh, some sort of ministry. We often think of, of God calling missionaries as as a as a very difficult task, and and oftentimes we even pray these words that God would go before them and that and that He would um, He would prepare the hearts of those that they're going to be ministering to. Um, maybe God's just called you to a difficulty in your job situation with a with a boss who's who's overbearing, or maybe God's called you to a difficult home life with a a, a spouse perhaps who is. Who is even unsaved, or or just uh, circumstances? You know, not even within the marriage, but even outside the marriage, outside the family, with other family relations. Maybe God's called you to go through a, a, a hardship. Maybe God is just called you to a time of isolation, where you're not able to do the things that you normally would do, like we are in right now. And God often calls us to some of these tasks that we 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 sit here and in our in our human and our fleshly view, we think this is impossible. But we need to remember that the God who goes before has gone before, even this time, and even these things that he's that are impossible, even these commands to have impossible tasks are possible, because he has gone before. The second observation that I want to make here is. Um, is that the God who goes before requires immediate obedience. The God who goes before requires immediate obedience. We come back to our passage here in Genesis chapter 24. Abraham has asked this servant to make an oath. And and we come back here to verse 9, I think it is. Yes, verse 9. And he says, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now here we have this this impossible task that Abraham has given to this servant. And and he's kind of laid out why he wants him to do this. Because because God has given us this land and I want to make sure that Isaac has a bride that is going to to be the type of woman that is going to support him in, in following after God who has promised these things to us. And he says, and it says here that the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So the first thing we see is that the servant accepts the task. He didn't say, "Ah, look, Abraham, master, um, I understand this is a really big deal, but, you know, I just, I don't think this is really for me. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not a good judge of character, um, I'm kind of old myself, I, I may not make the journey. You know, we don't, we don't see any excuses, we don't see any arguments. After he asks the question, what, what should I do? Should I bring your son back if, if she won't come? But that's the only response we have from this servant other than accepting this impossible task. And, uh, and the God who goes before requires immediate obedience. And I, and I think we, we see that here in this servant, because immediately he accepts this task from Abraham. But not only does he accept the task, but right away he begins to make preparation to obey it. He begins to make preparation to obey. It says in verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, this was probably not something that he just did in the next hour. <laughs> uh, this probably took maybe a couple days, maybe a few days uh, to get everything in order. It says that he took 10 camels. That probably didn't take that long. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had lots of camels, lots of uh, sheep and oxen and things like that. Um, and so that that probably didn't take too long. But there were probably other people traveling with him. I doubt that, that uh, this servant traveled by himself to, you know, his great distance with ten camels, so there were other people to get involved in this process. And then it says there that he he took choice, taking all of all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And so he he's looking at all this wealth that his master has, and he says, "I need to bring some of this, um, maybe as proof uh, that uh, of who he is, but also just even as gifts, perhaps even as a dowry uh, for for this." Uh, this uh, wife that he 's going to go get, and so he 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 gathers all these things, and this probably took some time for him to decide what to take and and for him to gather it all together, but in spite of the time that it took him to do that, he did it immediately it says he says that he 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 swore to him concerning this matter, then the servant took it just it 's right after each other he 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 obeys right away. And, uh, and, he, and he does everything that he needs to do to make sure that this is going to be a successful journey. And we won't get to it, obviously, this morning. But at the end of this chapter, we see him successful. He, he goes this journey, and he, and he, he finds the wife, and he, uh, he gives the gifts, and he brings her back. And, and I think it's important to note that part of this obedience is that it was complete obedience, and I don't want to get ahead of myself for next week, but he's even willing to to make sure that he completes the mission all the way. He he wants to make sure that he he completes the mission the way that his his master had had asked him to. He, now, yes, Abraham gave him kind of an out. If if she doesn't want to come back, you can do it. But we're gonna see later on. <coughs> Excuse me. We're gonna see later on next week that uh, that he's willing to keep going even if that first one doesn't work out. And so he he's a man who obeys right away, but he also obeys completely. He does everything necessary to do it. He does everything necessary to complete what, what Abraham has asked him to do and ultimately what God desires for him to do. But the God who goes before requires immediate obedience. And and we, we see immediate, immediate obedience here in this passage, but why would I say that God requires that? Well, I think you can go to other passages of Scripture that very clearly show us that this is true. We see an example of of it being done correctly here, but we don't have to look too far uh, in, in Scripture to find an example of those who do not obey immediately what God has clearly commanded them to do. Excuse me, and we see God... And his response to those, just a couple that came to my mind as I was preparing. Uh, first of all, is those descendants that we talked about earlier, that chapter 15 references, when they're coming back from, from Egypt and the, the Israelites are coming <clears throat> and they're, they've come to the land of Canaan. And what do they do? Uh, God commands uh, through, through uh, Moses that they need to go into the land of promise and what do they do? They they send spies into the land, right? And those spies come back with a report. And, and you know the song, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and two were good. Um, what would we have? We had a, a bad report. 10 gave a bad report. And they said, uh, look, man, there's, you know, there's abundance of riches and wonderful things, you know. Uh, it's flowing with milk and honey and there's massive grape clusters. And just, it's it's a very awesome land that God has promised to us but there are giants there and there are there are some some countries that are going to be really hard to to defeat and and I don't know if this is going to be good of course we had uh, Joshua and Caleb who were standing up for for God's command and uh, and we see the nation of Israel refusing to go into the promised land because of this report and what is the consequence of that? they refused to obey what God had clearly commanded. And God sent them for 40 years for an entire generation to be wiped out, wandering the wilderness. So God is still the God who was going to go before them. And when you you look at that passage, you come to that first city that they go to, the city of Jericho. How can you not see that? God is going before them when all he asks them to do is to march around the city one time every day and then the seventh day march around the city seven times and blow the trumpet and God knocks the walls down. That is a God who is going before and he is—he was going to go before them but they chose not to obey immediately and the consequences were grave. Another classic example of, of disobedience in the Old Testament obviously is, is found in the book of Jonah Uh the, the children of Israel disobeyed God because of fear uh, Jonah disobeyed God partially because of fear but also as you can com- as you read through the rest of the the uh, the passage there in Jonah partially because of prejudice in my opinion I think it's clear he wanted to see Nineveh be destroyed um, and so he chose not to and we have the story of Jonah with the this him running from God's uh command he didn't he didn't just disobey he ran away (laughs) and and we have the story of Jonah who ends up in the belly of a fish for three days before he repents and finally obeys what God has commanded but the God who goes before and even then God went before did he not he went before to Nineveh and prepared the hearts of the people to receive the message that Jonah was going to preach and they repented the God who goes before does call us to impossible tasks I'm sure Jonah probably thought that was an impossible task as well But he goes before and he requires that we obey immediately. How often are we not like this servant? How often are we more like the children of Israel? Are we more like uh, Jonah? And we get caught up out of fear. God has called us to this impossible task of, of maybe even just sharing the gospel with people that we know. And we get caught up in fear of what they're going to think of us. Fear that we're not going to have maybe the words to say. Fear that, uh, that they might do us harm. Fear of persecution. And we get so caught up in these other thoughts that, that we don't obey immediately what God commands us to do. And, and oftentimes we, we create a habit of disobedience to where we even quench the Holy Spirit. And we get to a point where we, we don't even feel, we don't even, even understand God's commands to us anymore because we've grieved the Holy Spirit so much. And I wonder this morning, if God has called you a, to an impossible task, but maybe in, in our minds, it's impossible. Of course, with God, all things are possible, but maybe out of fear, you've chosen not to do it. Maybe instead of being like the servant, you've, you've taken up the task. You said, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. And you've and you've started it immediately, and you're doing everything you can to to make sure that you accomplish it completely. Maybe that's not you this morning, and if not, I want you to understand that's something that God requires. He is going to go before, whether it's in our relationships with our family, whether it's in our opportunities of witness. Now we may not see the results that we desire, but that doesn't mean that God is not working. He is going before us, and the God who goes before us expects us. To obey immediately. The third observation and final one this morning that I see is that the God who goes before answers improbable prayers. The God who goes before answers improbable prayers. And of course this is one of the biggest sections of this passage that is focused on most people uh, when they preach, they're going to spend most of the time in this passage, where the servant comes finally to the well. And a lot of times, we we look at this passage and and we look at Rebecca, right? And and I don't think it's wrong for us to look at Rebecca. I don't think it's wrong for us to see the character that she displays and the actions that she does. But this morning, I don't. I want to maybe minimize a little bit our our Observance of Rebecca, and I instead I want to look at what God is doing, because again, the story isn 't about rebecca it 's not even about this servant it 's not about Abraham or Isaac. The story is about God, and the God who is going before this servant, the God who goes before, answers improbable prayers, and of course, we see this servant we don 't know this this man's spiritual condition we don 't know. Whether he worships God, we don't know. Um, Obviously, he refers to him as the God of his master. So it it may just be a cultural thing. but, But for whatever reason, he understands and probably has seen God fulfill these promises in Abraham's life. So he certainly knows that this God is a powerful God. He certainly understands that this God, as Abraham said, hopefully has gone before him, has sent his angel before him to Sorry, just one second. I'm going to bring the video back up. I apologize for that. So this God who's gone before him um is is uh is going to answer a prayer. And he he's he's familiar with this God. He understands to some degree who this God is. But, um, but we don't know for sure if he actually knows him. And I think it's really interesting that God um, answers this improbable prayer. I just, just look at what he prays for us uh, this morning. It says, and he made the camels, verse 11, he made the camels to kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. All right, so how does he start this thing? He starts, first of all, by asking for success. I mean, it's, it's kind of general. It's like, Lord, God of, of my master, please make this successful. <laughs> help, help these endeavors to be, to be a successful endeavor. And, and not only that, but, but do it not even for himself, but for his master Abraham. Do it for, for Abraham. He says, do it. Uh, please grant me success today and show steadfast love, not to me, but to my master Abraham because that's who he's doing it for. And so he's, he's praying that God will show again his steadfast love and his faithfulness to Abraham. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city and then he cont- he ends by this i shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master this is a very improbable prayer this is in scripture giving this uh type of detail to the prayers that they that they make to god especially uh from a standpoint of almost trying to to push god into doing something their way it's it's almost kind of what it seems like but what he's what he's asking here is he's he's basically saying, "God, show me who you've chosen." Remember Abraham said that that God was going to send his angel ahead. He was going to send his angel ahead to to pick the person that God wanted Isaac to marry. And this this servant is simply saying, "Show me who that is so that you can prove to me and to your servant Abraham your steadfast love." So he asked for for a very specific um interaction, he asked for confirmation that this is the right one. Of course, then we move on, we won't spend the time reading through it. But here comes Rebecca. And it's interesting, it's it's immediately, even before he's finished, it says in verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca. Right? She comes and she's and and she's coming to the well, and we have this interaction between her and this servant, and and she's fulfilling everything that he has asked God for right away like the the very first person he asked her for the water she says yes and I'll also draw water for your camels we see her her emptying the water out she goes and gets more excuse me until the camp, camels have drunk everything that they need to and it's interesting down in verse 21 it says the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the lord had prospered his journey or not why why is he gazing i mean you would think hasn't he already figured out this is the right one well He doesn't know who she is. He just knows that she's accomplished the first part of of this process. She's doing the things that that he had asked that God would make her do. Um, But he doesn't know for sure if she fulfills all the other requirements. What are those requirements? She needs to be of the family of Abraham. And so we come down to verse 23 says, he's talking to her, he's giving her these gifts, and he says, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So he's asking who she is, and he's, of course, you know, seeing if there's uh, opportunity for them to, to interact with, their, with her family, if there's a generosity there, if there's an openness there. And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor of course we know Nahor was the brother of Abraham and she added we have plenty of both straw and fodder and the room and room to spend the night so here is his final confirmation he is standing there watching her do all these things but he gets the final confirmation that final piece that this is the one that God has chosen she is not only from the city that she's supposed to be from. She's not only done the task that she's supposed to do based on his prayer, but she is from Abraham's family. And everything that he has prayed has been fulfilled. God has answered what really is an improbable prayer. And quite frankly, I don't know that he even thought it was going to happen. But it was, it was a prayer that God answered and he proved his steadfast love to Abraham. And of course we see him in verse 26 acknowledging this fact. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And he, he gives us praise to God, and he recognizes that God has done everything that he has asked. He's taken him exactly to where he needs to be so that he can accomplish the goal, the the impossible task that was set before him. The God who goes before has done everything necessary to allow this task to be completed, even to the point of answering an improbable prayer. A lot of times we fail to ask God for improbable things. Have you ever found that true of yourself? Have you ever found that we tend to stick with things that uh, that we think are are possible that we think are are can be accomplished even potentially through human strength? Um, a lot of times I think we we kind of give lip service to the fact that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I think we give, we give lip service to that, and, and we'll, even, we'll even throw caveats into our prayers sometimes. And, and I'm not saying that these specific words are wrong, but I think a lot of times, at least for myself, the heart behind some of those words um, is in many ways a heart of disbelief. A lot of times we'll pray, you know, God, would you heal this person of this disease that in man's eyes is, is incurable, right? Right. Um, and a lot of times we 'll say, "Well, if it be your will, and I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray that. In fact, I'm going to point out that we should pray that uh, that that we should pray in the will of God. But I think a lot of times some, we pray those words almost as a caveat to those improbable prayers um, to kind of you know maybe quell our our own um, idea of what might what, what's really possible. We, we, we pray that God will do great things, but we don't really believe that he can, or that he would choose to. And and so this morning, I want to look at this improbable prayer that this servant made. And and I want to remind us that the God who goes before us is a God who answers improbable prayers. He's a God, yes, who, who sends us on impossible tasks. And yes, he requires immediate obedience, but he also answers improbable prayers. But I think there are some, there are some caveats. There are some, uh, some requirements for these improbable prayers. I mean, it's, we're, not, we're not called to pray that God would just make us wealthy, right? And there, are some re- there are some things that we need to consider when we make an improbable prayer. The first is that we need to make sure that we're praying in God's will. And again, that's why I said it's not wrong to say, if it be your will, do such and such. The question is, are we saying that as a caveat? Are we saying that to quell our own uh, hopes? Or are we saying that really because we truly mean it? If it be your will. 1 John 5 verses 13 through 15 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, We know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. What's John saying here? He's saying, look, if you are requesting for things that are in the Lord's will, then you know they will be granted. If you are requesting for things that are God's will, you know He will answer it. He will accomplish it. And think about this prayer, Even, even the nuances of the prayer what is, what is this servant really saying? He's saying, God, point me to the person that you have appointed, that you have chosen for my master Isaac. Point me to that person because he, he realizes you have chosen someone, lead me to them. And God answers specifically that request because that request was part of his will. So the question is, are you praying in the Lord's will? Not just saying, if it be your will, But are you truly praying for things that you know are God's will? Are you praying for your own sanctification? Are you praying for the sanctification of others? Are you praying that we will grow spiritually? Are you not just praying that God would give us this or give us that, but are you praying for spiritual growth? Are you praying for people to be saved, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to accept Him as their Savior, to be saved from eternity of hell? Are you praying for those things? Those are the will of God. Is that are those the improbable prayers? I know if if we look at these things in man's viewpoint, I mean it's easy for us to get to get discouraged that you know people don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's folly to them. Scripture tells us that they don't naturally believe in Jesus until God reaches into their heart and helps them to see the truth. They don't naturally come running after God. We are His enemies. And so it it may seem very improbable for us to pray for someone to get saved, especially especially if we've been praying that for a long time. It may seem like a very improbable prayer, but if it's in the Lord's will, it's one that He will answer. Sometimes it may seem improbable for uh, people that we know, perhaps our family, our, our spouses, our children, to, to see them kind of take those spiritual steps to, to grow, to become more like Christ. And we, we focus so many times on the negative things. We, we often don't see the ways that people are growing. But are we, that's something that God absolutely is a will for us to do, is to become be conformed to the image of Christ. God desires that. That is in His will, and are we praying for that? Are we praying to that end? Are we continuing to pray to that end? And finally, are you willing to wait for God's timing? Are you willing to wait for God's timing? Of course, in this passage, it's a little bit different than a lot of the other things that, that we typically think of when it comes to prayer. It says before he even finished praying, <clears throat> God was answering his prayer. And a lot of times we, you know, we look at that and say, that must be nice. <laughs> because you know God does not always answer our prayers right away. many times God does not answer prayers for months or years um, I've heard of people who have prayed for for relatives or friends to be saved for years before they accept Christ. Were all those prayers in vain? No, they were not in vain. They were in the will of God they were they were understanding that that uh I missed a point. (laughs) They were understanding that that God is is going to fulfill it at some point. If that is his will, he will answer it. And they were faithful to continue to do it, regardless of how long it took for God to accomplish that. God accomplishes the answers to prayer in his time. And the one that I missed is we need to make sure that we're praying, not in our desires, but praying for what God desires for the things that will glorify him. James chapter four, verse three says that if you ask, says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. How often do we do that? We ask for things that maybe are improbable, but they're not for God's glory. They're often for our own desires, to fulfill our own glory, to fulfill our own wants. And that would be a prayer that God is not going to fulfill. And he's not going to answer that. But the question is are you praying improbable prayers or have you just have you closed down your prayer life to just the things that that you think God can accomplish that you think God will answer or are you are you beginning to pray improbable things because here's the here's the fact that I want you to walk away with this morning the God who goes before every situation that we face is the God who answers improbable prayers. If we pray according to His will, if we pray if for His glory, and if we pray understanding that that He is going to accomplish it in His time, and we're willing to wait, and we're willing to be faithful and to be patient, the God who goes before us is a God who answers improbable prayers. God is a God who goes before. Next week, we're going to go through, and we're going to look at three more uh, points from the rest of this observations from the rest of this passage about this God who goes before and the things that he does when he does go before. But just know, even these times that we are, that we are stuck by ourselves, this is not something that caught God off guard. God has gone before, and he has prepared a way and, a, and for us to walk through this. The question is, are we obediently following it? God has gone before us, and He will continue to go before us. The question is, are we following in His footsteps? And we can only do that by faith. And the next song that we're going to sing together this this morning is By Faith. It's a very familiar song, I think, to most of us. Uh, but it's one ju- that just reminds us that God is going before us. He has laid out a plan. He is He is calling us to follow Him. And the question is, are we willing to to simply by faith obey what he has called us to. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you that you are a God who goes before. Just like you went before this servant to help him find a wife for Isaac, to bring him specifically to the one that you had chosen, God, you go before us in each and every situation that you have called us to. And you ask us to obey and you are ready to answer those prayers that are in our eyes improbable, impossible, but Lord we know with you all things are possible and so Lord, I pray that as we go through these trials as we go through these hard tasks that you've called us to, that we would understand that you have gone before, that we would be uh, open with our desires to you that there's, that our desires would be ones that are that are equal with your will and Lord I pray that you would be glorified as we go through these hard things, understanding that you have gone before us and you will continue to go before us and you will guide us and direct us, help us to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. In your name we pray, amen.